The following message is brought to you by Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We exist to bring glory to God by knowing Christ and making Him known. If you would like to visit our church, we hold multiple services on Sunday mornings, starting at 9 a.m. We are located between Motokare Wharf and Edai Town. Pickups are available 709-1000. Reading Isaiah 52 verse 9 through Isaiah chapter 53. Resurrection morning. Every Sunday for the Christian is a reminder of the resurrection, but isn't it? blessing that once a year we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In the early church, there was one holiday that was celebrated, and it was Resurrection Sunday. It was many centuries before they celebrated Christmas, but from the very beginning, they celebrated that Sunday morning. Praise God for it. Isaiah 52, let's begin in verse 9, break forth into joy. Sing together, ye waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord hath comforted his people. He hath redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord hath made bare his holy arm in the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart ye, depart ye, go ye out from thence, touch no unclean thing, go ye out of the midst of her. Be ye clean that bear the vessels of the Lord, for ye shall not go out with haste, nor go by flight, for the Lord will go before you, And the God of Israel shall be your re-reward. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. So shall he sprinkle many nations. The kings shall shut their mouths at him. For that which had not been told them shall they see, and that which they had not heard shall they consider. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Oh, we have, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. 
Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Thank the Lord for his word. Well, I trust you have your Bibles this morning. We're going to be in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, together this morning. Uh, As we start into the sermon, I do want to remind you that every attribute of God must work perfectly with every other attribute of God. He is perfect and He is holy. He's loving and He's just. And every attribute of God perfectly works with every other attribute of God. I'll give you an example. For some people may say, uh, but why would Jesus actually have to go to the cross? God is loving. He could just forgive us all. And yet if that happened, every attribute of God would not work together with every attribute of God. He is, yes, a loving God. And oh, how thankful I am that He is loving. But He's also just. And He must be perfectly just. He cannot lay aside His justice in order to give forgiveness. I'll give an example. Could you imagine if there was a court case and the defendant was a murderer? Could you imagine? We're in the court case, we're observing, and here's a murderer sitting there at the defendant's table, and the, de- the murderer is there. The prosecution brings the case. They have everything against this guy. They've got the murder weapon. They've got the motive. They've even got his own confession. They've got eyewitnesses. We all know that guy is guilty. And then the prosecution makes the whole case, the judge listens to the whole case, and at the end of the case, the judge looks at the defendant and he says, do you have anything to say for yourself? Because he's getting ready to put him in the prison for a very long time. And at the very end of the court case, could you imagine if this happened? Very end of the court case, the defendant said, your honor, I'm sorry. What I did was wrong. I have no excuse, I'm sorry. And let's say, for just the sake of this illustration, that defendant was remorseful and repentant. It still doesn't change the fact that he's a murderer. It still doesn't change the fact that there should be a punishment for his sin. But could you imagine if in that court case setting, could you imagine if the judge said, well, fine, I'll tell you what, you're repentant, you're remorseful. We can all see that he's sorry. Uh, bailiff, come and get him. And we're going to release him back into society. We're going to just forgive him of that sin. We would all say that is an unjust judge. Because there is always a penalty for sin. For the very fact that we don't want anybody to think they can just walk into the courtroom and say, I'm sorry, and be able to get away with whatever they want to do. You just cannot do that. We need to teach this guy a lesson. There's a debt that's been, that needs to be paid back to society. And a just judge will send him away for his punishment. And God's the same way. The love of God is displayed 
most perfectly in the memory verse that you and I would know very well. John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. You and I know that memory verse so well. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. There you get the love of God meeting the justice of God. The love of God. For God so loved the world that not He said, I just forgive you all. But instead, I love you so much that I'm going to do the hardest thing there ever is. I'm going to give my only begotten Son. And He will take the punishment of your sin. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, not take the punishment that you and I deserve, but instead we should have everlasting life. And then notice that God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Jesus might be saved. On the one hand, we have the love of God, and on the other hand, we have the justice of God. And at the cross, we see a perfect balance of the two. You see, at the cross, the love of God met the justice of God. And He flowed out both perfect attributes upon you and I, a perfect balance as Jesus took the punishment for our sin. And I see at the cross such a beautiful display of the Trinity. You and I know that there's importance in the doctrine of the Trinity. The Father laid upon the Son the sin of the world. But let me share with, what, with you what 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 19 said. 2 Corinthians 5.19 said this, to wit, that God was in Christ. What a beautiful picture as God not only sends Jesus, but God is in Jesus. So there's God on the cross taking the sin of the world. The very sin that He has to punish, He's taking it Himself. To wit, that is, for us to know that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto Himself. For you and I can never take the punishment of our own sin. For we will be eternally separated from God if we take our own punishment. And so he took the punishment on our behalf, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. And he has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. And so the justice of God met the love of God at the cross of Christ as the wrath of God was poured out upon his Son. Come into Isaiah chapter 52. And I want you to see something in Isaiah chapter 52 as we're headed to verse 10. That's where we're going today. We'll be in verses 10 to 12. But before we get there, I want you to see back at the beginning of this passage. Come back to 52 and verse 13. And I just want to point something out here as we come into our passage. This is Isaiah 52 and verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. And today we will talk about the exalted Savior. But before he could ever be exalted, he had to be humbled. He had to go all the way to the point of death. Yes, he went, as the book of Hebrews says, lower than the angels so that he could die like a man. Here is Jesus Christ at the right hand of the Father with all of the glory and majesty that is the throne room of heaven. And he was reduced, as it were, to nothing but a heap of human flesh and bone. Cast out to be numbered with the common criminals. Humbled. You might remember from Philippians chapter 2, the words that were said of him in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7 and 8, but he made of himself of no reputation and he took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in the fashion of a man, he humbled himself and he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. This is our Lord and Savior, but I want you to see the words that are in 52.13. So look at Isaiah 52.13. There's a voice that I want you to hear in 52 verse 13. 
Here's the voice. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. I want you to think for just a moment before we go to the rest of the passage. In Isaiah 52 verse 13, who is it that's speaking? I want you to hear his voice. My servant shall deal prudently. Oh, Jesus is not your servant. He's not my servant. So that makes me ask this question. Whose servant is Jesus? He's the Father's servant. And so the voice that we hear in Isaiah 52 and verse 13 is the voice of God the Father speaking as He says, My servant will deal prudently and He will be exalted. Who is it that exalts Jesus? Oh, it's the Father. He will exalt Him. He will lift Him up. And so here as we come into this passage, Isaiah 52, 13, I hear the voice of God the Father as He says, My servant will deal prudently. Now I'm going to tell you something very interesting. The voice changes as we go through the passage. As you come into chapter 53, you see verse number 1, we don't really know who's speaking yet. But it will come clear as we come into verses 2, 3, 4, and 5. Look at verse 1. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that... We should desire Him. I now have a different voice. This is no longer the Father speaking, for the Father has everlasting joy in the Son. And so as we come into verse 3, notice, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, who's speaking, and we hid our faces from Him. This is no longer the Father. This is mankind speaking. He was despised, and we esteemed Him not. Surely He has borne our griefs. It's a new voice. This is us. Now we are the ones that are speaking of Him. He's carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem Him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. Oh, this is no longer the Father. He has no transgressions. He has no iniquities. It's you and I who speak in these verses. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. Most definitely this is not the Father speaking The end of verse 6, the Lord now pointing back at him. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He's speaking of us, brothers and sisters. And as it were, our voices are speaking out as we read these words and we hear the Father has humiliated the Son on our behalf so that His love can be balanced perfectly against His justice. And here we have... The righteous judge of the whole universe will do right and justice will be satisfied on the cross of Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is the gospel. For the very thing that you and I could never do, we could never, we could never handle, carry, we could never carry the weight of the punishment of God upon our sin. And yet Jesus stepped in between us and God the Father and took our place. Oh, He endured our suffering. He took our chastisement. And with His stripes, 
we are healed. This is the gospel. For he who was at the right hand was humiliated so that you and I might become the sons of God. He took our sin on the cross. And then at the cross, he cried, it is finished. There is nothing else that you and I can ever do to top up. Don't ever think that you can add on something to make up whatever God left short. Oh, He poured out His wrath on Jesus, and Jesus took it all. All that is left for you and I to do is put our trust in Him. And this is the Gospel. The wrath of God was satisfied at the cross. So now come into Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 9. This is where we left Him last week in our narrative at the cross. Verse 9, And He made His grave with the wicked. Just like a common criminal died on the cross just like 30,000 Roman criminals in the Judean region. Nothing set him apart. Nothing caused man to look upon him and say, oh, this cross is magnificent. Oh, no, he numbered himself with the transgressors. And then the next phrase, and with the rich in his death. You don't take a common criminal who is supposed to culturally, within that setting, supposed to have been just thrown in the pit at Gehenna. You don't take that one and somehow bring him over to be buried with the rich. It doesn't happen. And yet it was prophesied 700 years beforehand. It was prophesied that this one, the Messiah, the servant of God, the son of man, will be crucified and humiliated. And he should have been out into Gehenna, but instead he gets exalted and put into the tomb of the rich. And that happened with Joseph of Arimathea. And you remember Jesus is hanging on the cross already passed away they've pierced his side blood and water have come from his side and he is dead on the cross the very reason for which he had come to be a man was now fulfilled and there he hung on the cross dead Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man he went to Pilate and begged for the body That in itself could have caused Joseph a lot of repercussions. And yet he stepped in and he said, this body is too precious. Oh, how I wish that we could all have that opportunity to do that. He stepped into the place. The 11 disciples are scattered and gone. They're hiding. The women are at a distance. They cannot do anything at this moment. And Joseph goes and begs for the body. And Pilate's surprised that he's already dead. Pilate gives permission Joseph went and got his friend, a guy by the name of Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee, had met with Jesus in John 3 and had heard the very words that Jesus had said. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must I be lifted up. I can only wonder if those words passed through Nicodemus' mind as they pulled his body down from off the cross. They purchased a long white linen sheet and they wrapped his body with about 45 kilograms of spices and myrrhs. And they wrapped his body and took his body down to Joseph's tomb. It was a brand new tomb that had just been carved out of stone. No one had been laid to rest in there. You want to talk about numbered with the rich. Oh, what a magnificent prophecy that's being fulfilled in this very moment. And they took the body of Jesus and laid Him in the tomb. The ladies stood at a far distance and they watched where He was buried. That's so very important because a few days later, somebody accused them of having stolen the body or perhaps they went to the wrong grave. You don't watch your loved one get buried and then forget where that was. It doesn't happen that way. And there they laid His body. And the chief priests thought to themselves, no good somebody might come along and steal the body and make up a story about how he resurrected from the dead. I wonder who put that thought in their mind. 
They went to Pilate and asked Pilate for guards and they rolled a stone in front of the tomb and they sealed it and put the guards on watch. And there the guards stood for the next three days while they waited. You see, Satan wielded his greatest weapon. Satan's greatest weapon, and he still continues to wield that weapon today, is the weapon of death. It is the very thing that you and I, every human person, fears. You take whatever fear you have, I don't care what your fear is, boil it down to the base of that fear, and the greatest fear that every man has is the fear of death. And Satan wields that again and again. It has everything to do with the fall of man, and it has everything to do with the sin of man. You see, Jesus went to the cross, and He took upon Himself the sin of mankind, and the pay of sin is death. And there on the cross, He tasted As it were, the book of Hebrews says that he tasted the weapon of Satan. He tasted death for every man. But in Jesus taking a taste of death, he swallowed it up in victory. I love the phrase that comes from 1 Corinthians 15. It says that, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? As it is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Now that goes right back to Isaiah 25 and verse 8. Now Isaiah 25, 700 years before Isaiah writes these words, again speaking of the Messiah, says this, He will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. Hey friend, I want you to grasp this. Here's Jesus, goes to the cross, says, give me the sin of mankind, and while I'm taking the sin, I'm going to take the punishment of sin, which is the wages of sin is death. I'm going to take it upon myself and I'm going to win over everything Satan has to throw at mankind. I'm going to take it upon myself and I will defeat sin, hell, the grave, and death and I'll take it all. And when I rise again, I will remove all fear of all death for everyone, for every generation, for friend. His taking our death on the cross gives victory to you and I. It's because He went to the cross that He was able to make an open shame of the principalities and powers. And it's because death lost its power at the cross that you and I can have our tears wiped away by the Father. And one day He will wipe away death entirely as He returns in the clouds. And in the clouds He will blow the trumpet and the dead in Christ will rise. And never again will death ever have victory over man. And there he lie in the tomb for three days. Perhaps Satan thought that he had one over on God, but then early on Sunday morning, the earth began to quake and a great big bright light shone And nobody came and opened the stone to let Jesus out. He walked out without moving the stone. And the angels came and rolled back the stone so that man could go inside and have a peek. And look at this. He's risen. Yes, He's risen indeed. I love the fact that when those Roman soldiers came to arrest Jesus three days before, all he had to say is, I am, and it knocked them all down. And then in the moment that he arose from the dead, he knocked them all down again. You see, it had nothing to do with them. They were just getting in the way. Just knock them out of the way. And then poor Mary meets him in the garden. She thought he was the gardener. I don't know what made her think that he's just the gardener. 
I know that his visage was changed, his face was changed like no other man. I don't know, I can't help but just imagine, perhaps, I don't know, everything started in the garden, everything went wrong in the garden, everything got fixed in the garden. And I don't know, but perhaps maybe he's got his back to Mary, and there he is, he's working with the flowers. I don't know what he's doing, and she comes up behind him, thinks he's the gardener, and she says, oh sir, please, I don't know what's happened to the body. I saw an empty tomb, and I don't know what's happened to the body, but if you've taken the body somewhere, and there he is, Mary. You see, when a risen Savior calls your name, everything changes. And there she realized in that moment, and you remember what she did? She couldn't help herself. She came running and grabbed him. Oh, you're alive. You've got to be kidding me. It's all changed now. He says, all right, hang on a second. I need you to go and tell the boys because they're all scared right now. Go and get the disciples. Tell them I'll see them this evening. Get them together. I'll see them. They know where to meet me. It's that upper room. I was just there a couple days ago. I'll see you there in just a few hours. And for the next 40 days, he impacted his disciples in a way that their lives had never been impacted. In fact, the Bible uses the words with many infallible proofs. He showed himself. And those guys went to their graves for that story. Every single one of them to a martyr's death. Because a risen Savior changed their lives. I would say, in a fulfillment of the prophecy, oh, He is highly exalted. So come back to Isaiah chapter 53, verse number 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise Him. If you know the end from the beginning, oh, Bruising Jesus is a pleasure because he's going to be highly exalted. And he knows the end from the beginning. So the Lord says, there's one way and only one way to make man right with God. Therefore, I will bruise him. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. And we saw this phrase last week. And I'm going to touch this phrase because it goes further into verse 11. Here it is. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin... He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And here it comes into verse 11. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. So there's four things that happen. Four things that happen there. When God makes Jesus' soul an offering for sin, four things happen. He doesn't go to the grave and stay there. By the way, all the gods of the earth, other religions, every single one of them, their leader died, went to the grave, and never came back. And not a single one of them even claims that he did. Ours is the only one that claims that He did. And by the way, the love of God met the justice of God at the cross of Christ. And into the tomb He went and out of the grave He came, proving that the love of God was meeting the justice of God and His wrath was satisfied. And up He comes. Romans 4 and verse 25 says, He rose again. The Father rose Him again for our justification. And so the Father made Jesus' soul an offering for our sin. So when he does that, four things happen. Now we saw three of them last week. I'll just touch them because they come into the fourth one and the fourth one's important. So let me show them to you again. When. You cannot just say when and leave it there. So when he made his soul an offering for sin, these things happen. Here's one. One. He shall see his seed. And we said last week that that means he will see those who come behind him 
As you and I would see our children and our grandchildren, I love my kids, and my kids are grown, and they're out of the house now, and one thing I look forward to and can wait patiently for, but I look forward to, is having grandchildren. And I'm looking forward to sitting in a chair, an old man chair. If you don't have an old man chair and you're a younger guy, you need to get an old man chair because the day's coming when you need an old man chair. And you got an old man chair, and I'm looking forward to sitting in the old man chair and having a grandchild sit on this side, another grandchild sit on this side, and tell them about the good old days back in the 1990s. And I'm going <laughs> to... That's right. So you catch that. And I sit there, and I will see my seed. That's right. And so here's Jesus... You make his soul an offering for sin, normally somebody dies, they don't see their seed. And for a Jewish person, that was a very big thing. Do you remember Jacob? Jacob gets to see his twelve sons, and then he speaks of his ultimate blessing the day when he's there in Egypt, and they've got the land of Goshen, and he's about to die, and he goes to Joseph, and he says, Joseph, I want you to bring me my grandsons, Ephraim and Manasseh, and I want to bless them. The old, poor old guy is blind by now. He puts his hands on the boys, and he blesses them. This is an ultimate culmination for the life of Joseph, as he says, oh, look at this, I can see, even though I don't even have my eyes, I can see my seed. It's a blessing. And here's Jesus, even though he goes to the cross, the prophecy is he will see his seed. And he sees us. He's resurrected. He sees us. And then the next thing that happens, He will prolong His days. He will prolong His days. Dead people don't prolong their days. He raises from the dead never to die again. He is the first fruits from the dead. He raises from the dead and His days are everlasting to everlasting. He never will die again. He continues to go. He will prolong His days. And then look at the last thing in verse 10. The third one. The pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in His hand. let Let me rephrase that. God will be pleased with the things that are happening with Jesus. The pleasure of God will prosper in His hand. It's as if, you can see this picture, here's the hand of Jesus pierced. And the pleasure of God is prospering, growing within the hand of Jesus. Do you realize that the pleasure of God grows in the pierced hand of our Savior? Now take a picture of this for just a moment. John chapter 10 says that you and I are in the hand of Christ and then the hand of Christ is in the hand of God and the pleasure of God dwells mightily and prospers upon the pierced hand of the Savior. Oh, this is a blessed thought. And then the fourth thing that will happen, and we see this one today anew in verse 11. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Now keep in mind whose voice we're hearing here. He. So Jesus will prolong His days. Jesus will see His seed. Jesus will give pleasure to the Lord. And verse 11, Jesus shall see of the travail of His soul, and Jesus will be satisfied. Now very easy for us to mix this up. You might remember, boy, the poor Ethiopian eunuch, when he was riding out in the desert, and Philip had to come running alongside of him. That was in Acts, I think, chapter 8. And there's, there's poor Philip just running in the desert next to the Ethiopian eunuch. Ethiopian eunuch's got Isaiah 53, and he's reading it. And, and, and I don't know if you remember the question. The question that he said was, hey, Philip. If I was Philip, I'd say, hey, can we stop this thing? <laughs> so I'm tired of running next to you. <laughs> but the Ethiopian eunuch said, said who's this guy talking about? Do you realize what the question is? What's the voice? Who's speaking here? Is he speaking about himself? Is he speaking about somebody else? I have a hard time keeping track of 
And that's because we're seeing voices change in here. And he says, He shall see his travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Who will see the travail? Jesus. Jesus will see the travail of his own soul and he will be satisfied. Now, that's worth looking at. So here's Jesus, goes to the cross, suffers like no man has ever suffered. Went through all of the pain and suffering physically, emotionally, mentally, socially. You can think of all of the travail of his soul that he received as he went through an infinite amount of wrath of God. That was poured upon him and poured upon his soul. And Jesus, on the other side, seeing his seed, prolonged his days, God's pleasure and it's in his hand. And he looks back on that travail and he says, I'm pleased with what I've gone through. I'm satisfied with it. In other words, there's no regrets. Jesus has no regrets for having gone through what he went through. Yes, it was terrible. And yes, he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, take this cup from me if it be possible. And yes, he did endure those things, terrible shame upon the cross, and yet he looks back on it with no regrets. He is satisfied for the travail of his soul. So when God made Jesus' soul an offering for sin, oh, he accomplished a whole lot. Now look at verse 11. That's that fourth thing. He shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. Now here's an important phrase. By his knowledge shall... My righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Surprise, we have a new voice. Did you catch it? My righteous servant. That's going back to 52.13. So just for a reminder, look back at 52.13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. And we said that was the voice of... God the Father. So guess who's speaking again in 53.11? My righteous servant. Through the knowledge of my righteous servant, he will justify many. This is the Father again speaking, and this time he calls him my righteous servant. So on the backside of having carried the sin of all mankind, he is now declared even righteous, and with that righteousness, he is justifying many. Oh, please, you might remember this verse from 2 Corinthians 5.21. We quote it all the time around here. For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin. That was God made Jesus to be sin for you and I. So that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Jesus went to the cross, took our sin upon Himself. And then He gave us His righteousness. That is the very definition of justification. To be declared as righteous as Christ. And here He is taking His righteousness and placing it on us. So look at 53.11 and you'll see the phrase. For by His knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. You come to know Jesus, He's going to justify you. And that declaration's coming from the Father. My righteous servant will justify many. We get to be declared righteous because of Him. And let's watch the Father further exalt the Son in verse number 12. Therefore will I divide Him a portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong. Because, and we'll get to the because in just a minute. Let me show you the two phrases there. I will divide Him a portion of the great. Here's God the Father 
saying of Jesus Christ the Son, if there's ever going to be anybody that's great, it'll be the Lord Jesus Christ, for He is my servant, and He will be exalted and extolled. And He will be very high, He said in verse 13. We're going to exalt Him. He got humbled first, and because of His humility, He gets exalted. I will divide Him portion with the great. No man has ever done this. He has done the most difficult thing ever, and He has redeemed mankind. He who had no sin, He is numbered with the great. And then notice the second part of the phrase, because He brings us in. Into it, he will divide the spoil with the strong. Now, hang on a second. You got the Father, and you've got the Son, and then you got us. That's all there is. The Father exalts the Son and gives him a name that's above every name. And then the Father says, I'm going to name you among the strong, and I'm going to give you the spoils of war. That's what's happening here, the spoils of war. Well, who did the Son go to war against? And that's the, that's the devil, Satan. And he went to war against Satan, and then he redeemed all of us. And when he redeemed all of us, he brought us up to be sons of God. As many as received him, to them he gave he power to become the sons of God, John 1 tells us. And then also Romans chapter 8 gives us this insight. Here's Romans chapter 8 and verse 16 and 17. The Spirit also bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then we are heirs. Not breathing heirs, but heirs. H-E-I-R-S. Heirs. We are the descendants and recipients of the inheritance of the Father. And we are joint heirs with Christ. And so here is Christ receiving glory from the Father. Jesus is the one that went to the cross. I didn't go to the cross. Jesus went to the cross. And the Father sees pleasure in the Son. And then He divides the spoils with the strong. We get the inheritance with Christ for the very fact that we are in Christ. We didn't do anything. He divides the spoil with the strong. Here's Jesus says, I die for you and I bring you along and make you strong. I'm going to divide the spoil. You're joint heirs with me. Oh, this is a magnificent thought. See the Trinity all through this. Look at verse 12 again. Therefore will I divide him portion with the great. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong because, here comes, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Very quickly, God gave Jesus a position of rightful greatness and power. So I might say it like this, he has every right to greatness. And I'll use the phrases that are in verse 12. He has every right to greatness, as exalted, as extolled, as very high. He has every right to greatness because, and there's four of them here, and I'll walk through them very quickly as we close. Because, one, he has poured out his soul to death. You get this picture? Jesus on the cross. There he is. The wrath of God, infinite God is pouring out His infinite wrath upon His infinite Son. And there He hangs. And He has every ability to take only half, three quarters, 99%. He can take as much as He wants. He can hold back as much power as He wants. And yet, it says here, He poured out His soul to death. Every last drop of Himself He gave over. He poured out... 
Therefore, he is greatly exalted. He is greatly exalted. He has every right to greatness because he has poured out his soul unto death. And then he was numbered with the transgressors. That's the second one it says, because he was numbered with the transgressors. He never sinned, not a single imperfect thought. He never sinned. And yet, as it were, the phrase, he numbered with the transgressors. It's as if God said, all right, I'm going to split everybody into two groups. On this side is all the perfect ones. And on this side is the transgressors. And on this side, there's only Jesus. Because he's the only perfect one. And on this side is all of the transgressors, all the wicked people of all time. And he says, he was numbered with the transgressors. It's as if God said, I want all of the transgressors to raise their hand. And Jesus walked away from perfect and came over to this side and raised his hand. And he said, I'll be numbered with the transgressors. I'll take their place. You see, for God cannot punish Jesus for nothing He had to take upon himself the sin of mankind and he poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors. He did that for you and for me. And then thirdly, he bare the sin of many. Oh, there's no mistake of why he went to the cross. In fact, in this passage alone, 38 different references to Jesus going to the cross for our sin. Oh, our Savior went bearing the sin of many, and it was no mistake. And then lastly, it makes this phrase, he made intercession for the transgressors. For you and I have no ability to speak with the Father. There's one man and one mediator between God and man. That's the man Christ Jesus. You and I have no ability to come to him. And I think through the Old Testament, of all of the Old Testament priests that were there, and every one of them doing their best well, some of them doing their best. Some of them were kind of wicked guys. And some of those priests, I'm sure that throughout those Old Testament years, I'm sure that some of those, the people loved them. Could see a really good heart. But every one of those priests had a problem. And here's the problem. At some point, they died. The book of Hebrews points it out. This is Hebrews chapter 7. Makes this statement, verse 23. They truly were many priests because they... We're not suffered to continue by reason of death. In other words, the time would come, even if they were a really good priest, the time would come when they would die and somebody else would take their place. And our high priest is so very different. But this man, that's Jesus, continueth forever, hath an unchangeable priesthood. Wherefore he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for them. So here's our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He has every right to be positioned in greatness because he continues to make intercession before the Father. You might remember 1 John chapter 1 says that if you say you have no sin, you're deceiving yourself. But if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sin and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness because of the very next verse, 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, because we have an advocate with the Father. There's Jesus right there next to the Father going, I already paid for that one's sin. And so that brings me to a closing thought. Here's the closing thought. The greatest display of God's glory, the greatest display of Jesus' magnificence is at the cross. Now let me defend that. It's been stated that way all through Isaiah chapter 53. But I'll defend it like this. 
You might remember what Colossians 1 says about Jesus. All things were created by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. That was Colossians chapter 1 said that Jesus, when God said, let there be light, it was Jesus that actually made the light. And He is the creator of all things and He is the sustainer of all things. Literally, He holds it all together. The reason that the earth can spin on its axis and you and I not fly off of it because, friend, it is spinning at rates that would be mind-boggling. And if, as the earth spins on its axis, He sustains and holds us here. And He keeps everything together by the power of His Word. He's a creator and He's a sustainer. He was born of a virgin. Try that one. Nobody else has ever been born of a virgin. He was. And that's pretty magnificent and that's pretty glorious. And as He walked through His life and did His ministry, you might think of all of the miracles that He did walking on water and controlling the weather and raising the dead. Lazarus and the widow's son at Nain and Jairus' daughter as He raised them from the dead. And He opened the eyes of the blind, sometimes by touching them, sometimes by making little mud cakes and putting it on their face, sometimes by spitting in the mud, and sometimes He opened the ears of the deaf and He made the lame to walk and He made the leper's hole. He did magnificent things. And one day he will return in the clouds and he will have a name written on his thigh that is like no other name. And he will slaughter the armies of the enemies. He is a magnificent Savior. But friend, all of those glories are awesome and they're great, but they leave us with a problem. Because all we can do with all of those glories is stand back at a distance in awe and look at Him and say, wow. And it still leaves us in a need. For the cross changes everything. For the cross is that magnificent crowning moment in all of history where Jesus stepped down and became a man. God became a man, put on robes of flesh so that He could die for you and I. And in that, oh friend, that is glorious. The very thing that is the most shameful, He humbled Himself all the way down to the form of a servant and He died for you and I so that He could be exalted. And it's in that death, burial, and resurrection that you and I see Him as the most glorious Savior that He really is. And you might remember these words. I'll close with this from the book of Philippians chapter 2 and verses 9-11. to Wherefore God also hath highly exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Oh friend, know that Jesus is highly exalted and it has everything to do with the cross. And there will come a day when every knee will bow before Him. Whether that's Now, today, or in eternity, every knee will bow. And friend, I don't know if perhaps for some reason you thought, well, maybe I can just top up a couple of things with His his good things. I'll top them up just a little bit with my good things. And in that, you might as well be spitting in the open source of Jesus. For His glory is most magnificently displayed at the cross. Don't try to top up Jesus. There's only one response. Bow the knee before Him. 
And so I might ask you this morning as we close, have you bowed before Jesus and trusted Him as your Savior? So Father, I pray that you would deal in our hearts this morning. Father, I pray that you would work amongst us. Help us to see Jesus high and lifted up. Drawing men to Himself. For He is glorious. It's for the cross alone that we have hope. And so Father, this morning, if there be some among us who have never put their trust in Christ, Lord, I pray that today would be that day. It's difficult to do this morning, but I might ask you to remain with your heads bowed and eyes closed. might ask someone that's in leadership in our overflow services if you guys could assist with this. I want to ask this morning, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus as your Savior, but you say, I'd like to, Pastor, I'd like to put my trust in Christ. Would you raise your hand? Say, Pastor, I'd like to put my trust in Christ this morning. I see Him now as most glorious and I need to trust Him. Would you just raise your hand? I don't want to walk away from this opportunity. Oh, He is glorious. You can trust Him. Father, I pray that we would never walk away from the cross unchanged. May we see the glory of Jesus on display, high and lifted up. And may we bow before you, never standing and thinking, oh, look at us, but always bowing and lifting up your name. Thank you, Father, for your grace upon us. For in your beautiful name we ask it. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Matt Allen of Capital City Baptist Church of Port Mosby. We would love to have you join us for service if you are in the area. If you need help with transportation, please give us a call on 709-1000. Again, it's 709-1000.